delivering all the news, the informed views, and just telling great motorsport stories since 2003. Powered by the Racetalk.com. This is On the Grid. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of On the Grid here on mypodcasthouse.com or on the Radio Show Limited RS1. Thank you for joining us. Big show coming your way. We're going to talk IndyCars, a big finale coming up this weekend. Brett Murray, who was on the ground for the Portland race last weekend, will talk to us about the contenders, Scott McLaughlin, Scott Dixon, and also Will Power for the championship. Richard Crowell and Mark Walker to join me as well. It's a big show. Let's get straight into it. You're listening to the latest from around the motorsport world. On the grid. All right, joining us for a chat, a man who uh, was, well, in Portland last weekend, and uh, I'm sure it was a fantastic time for him seeing three of his mates up on the podium. Brett Murray, good day to you. Baxter, how are you? Very well, thank you, Crush. Uh, gee, was what an amazing race. One, to see Scott get up and win it, and two, to see those three guys on the podium together. Yeah, it was a pretty special day, mate. Uh, I've got to admit, um, Trudy sort of turned to me as uh, the three of them sort of crossed the line. I, I whirled up. She grabbed the tissue out and sorted me out. But, um, yeah, it was a very, very proud moment and um, one one I'll certainly never uh, never forget. Um, you know, three Australians have been on the podium previously, but not back since 2011 with uh, Ryan Briscoe, Dixon and Power at Texas. Um, but to be there for that event in the way the championship is at the moment, First, Scott Dixon to start back as far as he did and to be able to bang himself into the top three was pretty amazing. And, um, you know, for McLaughlin to be so dominant all weekend was um, was very, very special. The fact he led 104 laps of that race, Scotty, that, that is an amazing run. Yeah, especially at that place. Like, you got, you know, there was talk about turn one and what turn one can be here, which is, you know, all there. It can be pretty, pretty daunting and... Uh, Normally, year after year, you see them, you know, the red mist sets in and some idiot sort of decides to kamikaze from 15 rows back and take half the field out. But um, we sorted some of the junior categories over the course of the weekend. But um, they all managed to get through. And the more you talk about it, you know, some, I don't know how it works, but somehow, you know, it doesn't happen and it didn't happen at the weekend. Um, certainly turn one of the first lap. And, uh, you know, they'd made a decision to start the race further back down the track coming out of 12. So, which gave Scott a chance to control that deal. And uh, I think that was a, very much a sign of his maturity that he could control it how he did um, and then take that run into one and, and then just fire off. It was uh, quite a remarkable and, and very polished and professional performance. Let's have a look at these three in their championship run crush. For Scotty, in his second year in IndyCar, he had a fantastic rookie year. A guy that's come from tin tops into open wheelers as opposed to the other two that, have pretty much been open-wheeler drivers all their career. This is an amazing effort by Scott to still be in a position where he could still win the championship mathematically. And for the other two, for Will Power to only have one race win and be leading the championship, and for Scotty Dixon at 42 to still be doing what he's doing, they're three amazing stories. Yeah, they are, Shebex. And, uh, you know, as you mentioned, I've been involved with all of them at some point of their careers, um, mainly in the younger days. Um, Scott Dixon came to us at Pac West in 2000, Indy Lights Championship, and he was a he walked in the door. He was a fat, red-headed, freckly kid from New Zealand, and we're like, well, what do we what do we got here? And uh, we knew, you know, obviously knew of his ability, and he, and from the time he was 14, how good he was. But um, he got hold. There was a guy called Jim Leo who actually uh, helped us with our entire program with the team Murray, the Pertec Team Murray. Uh, program in 2016 he got grabbed the hold of him and within three months it transformed him into a machine and scott's never ever lost his focus from that day it's been a remarkable performance his championships his indy 500 win and just to see him mature as a you know he was pretty much a shy kid when he came to us that year and, and he, he went on to become one probably you know possibly the greatest open wheel racer of our time in this in this country and you know people debate that with the other blokes but you look at the competition he's had over time and he's still got plenty of time left he's not going anywhere soon he'll tell you that um and and the way he's developed as a person you know he's a he's a great husband terrific father of three kids um and really you know embraces that stage of his life you know it's really remarkable and and for him to see develop for him to develop into that 
and still be out there, you know, being competitive and, you know, to start where he started, obviously the car they had some issues with, they couldn't get the shit sorted out and to come in and finish third was a, was a terrific effort. Will Power walked into our office with Craig Gore, you know, we had the whole Team Murray, uh, Team Murray, Team Australia thing, you know, putting to, we were putting together. Um, Walker had decided to give him a test, gave him a test. He walked in with no shoes on. And it was like, where are your shoes, mate? He said, I can't afford shoes. So he thought that was a pretty good line. Um, and Craig gave him a shot. And, you know, Craig said his issues over time. But, you know, he was the guy who, you know, ponied up the cash at the start to give him a crack. And and uh, from Walker Racing really developed him to a point where, you know, he could be given a shot. And Castro Neves had his issues here with the taxes and stuff. And then he was given a shot. And he, he, he grabbed hold of both hands. And. He's a different guy. Like, you know, he, he in the last six months, he's just transformed into this different dude. You know, he had a lot of time. He should have won three, four, five championships. Um, he won that championship at 14, which I was very fortunate to be over here for. He screwed screwed up the penultimate round at Laguna Seca. Mm. I said to him, mate, you know, I haven't come all this way for you to watch you screw it up. And then he, uh, he got the job done. And uh, it was a very, very special day when he, when he got that job at done at Fontana in 2014 but he's a different guy now he's happy to finish second you know he's happy with that week that the result of the weekend he was happy to be there in the past if he didn't win you know his eyes were rolling back in the back of his head mm. and then for Scotty you know he first come to me as a 12 year old kid you know looking for direction in his deal and he didn't mention Formula 1 so I thought oh this is maybe a kid we could probably help so each year as you know I you know I someone I you know sort of mentor or help in some way there's no cash you know it's just like my way of giving back a bit and you know we've sort of been very fortunate to be with Scott since day one and then you know he won three championships at home and and I was so thrilled when he came over here and you know you look at his, his year this year and you look and say okay what what ifs and buts but because this game this game is full of them but you know if he doesn't crash at Indy and the double points all that stuff he's going to be absolutely right there you know but um He's learned from all that stuff, and um, you know I'm sure he'll be uh, he'll be up in the mix next year. Well, there was a lot of commentators are, are giving him the championship already next year. Yeah, I think um, you know it's a very dangerous situation. You know, like you can come out in the first round this year where he won, and you come out and 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 you have a, a DNF or some issues at round one at St. Pete next year, and then you know all of a sudden you're on the back foot. And obviously, the, the dialogue changes quite dramatically very, very quickly. So um, he, he's aware of that. He's smart enough to know that. He's got a lot of work to do over the off-season. The great thing we know about him is he's prepared to do it. He's got the simulator down the road. He's got all the assets he's got. He's with a you know the best team in the business. He un- He's very grateful and appreciative of what he's got. Um, and, you know, he's living the dream. He knows that. I mean, we talk, you know, once, once or twice a week and, and um, he, he's very, very aware of all that stuff. And, you know, when we chat, we don't, you know, nine times out of ten, well, 10% of our conversations about racing, but yeah. it's about a lot of other stuff. But he, um, yeah, he's uh, he's done a terrific job. And, you know, I think he's got a, a long-term uh, future in this sport here in this, uh, on this side of the Pacific. There's no doubting that. We head to Laguna Seca, as you said, to attract a – Anything could happen at it's just it's just one of those tracks, and we know that uh, the Penske cars didn't test at Laguna Seca. The Ganassi cars did. How is that going to affect? And what do you think will happen this weekend? Uh, I think I think they'll certainly go there with a little bit more knowledge. I think the Ganassi cars probably wish they'd tested at Portland the way that the Penske cars did. But in the end, you know, Scott ended up finishing third. Could he finish any better than that? Yeah, probably if they had a bit more data. What, what would the difference be? I'm not so sure. Um, and in the end, he got very lucky uh, with a yellow, but made full advantage of it. You know, he's just a guy. It's just amazing how he continues to do that. He's just the smartest bloke in that pit lane by so far. And, you know, um, I'm, you know, McLaughlin knows that too. So, even though he's not... You know, he's sitting on the other side of the, you know, the arch enemies of Penske and Ganassi. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he, he's he's learning a lot from Scott Dixon by just watching him week in, week out, and how he go about it, how he goes about his business. So, um, 
I think that, uh, yeah, that, that'll help, but they're just going to go balls out, you know, from the opening session. Try and do what McLaughlin did at, uh, at Portland and just see where they end up. See how, you know, go out there and set the pace, see what they've learned, roll everything they've got from what they've learned and see what the gap is and see if they can keep it. And then, you know, you know, Scott Dixon's got to win the champ, win that race to have a shot at the championship. It doesn't, you know, won't give him the championship, but, you know, in this game, anything can happen. We've seen it happen time and time and time again. So I think we've got a seriously good weekend on our hands. Oh, no doubt about it. Five guys still in contention for the title. And I'll tell you what, when we talk about good guys coming through, there's a couple of guys in Indy Lights as well that are giving it a, a serious crack this year as well. Matty Brabham, a boy you know quite well, and also young Hunter McElray uh, re-signed a deal for next year with Andretti Motorsport. Those two guys are just having a great year. Yeah, they are. Hunter's done a, done a terrific job this year, um, and uh, I'm sure there's a you know he's he's very fast. You want to, you know you need to slow him down a little bit, but you'd rather be trying to slow them down than speed them up. So um, he was here with his dad Andy, who's obviously made a, a great career for himself on the on the you know, team ownership and management side of in Australia on the Porsche Carrera Cup side. And he had a couple of good supporters in Tim Miles this weekend. His wife mm-hmm. Tracy and then and his mum and dad yeah, were here, and his brother Cooper and and so they had a really good you know, group around them. He did, you know, solid job, probably a bit quicker over the weekend. Then obviously Brabs finished second, which was uh, a great result for him and maintained second position in the championship in the lights. Um, Brabs still trying to sort out what's next. Um, as you know, he, he drove my car, the Indy 500 in 2016. And the only job we never got done out of that entire program was getting him a full-time ride and as much as we tried and tried and tried. Sometimes the checkbook beats you, and you know we're not bitching and moaning about that. That's just the game we play. So yeah. um, he's just got to be in the right place at the right time. We had some positive meetings at the weekend, but yeah, we've had lots of positive meetings in the past. So we'll see how he goes. Hunter's re-signed um, a deal for next year with with the support of a couple of sponsors that have come on board that he actually put together himself personally, which is um, you know credit to him as a kid and getting on with the business and. He's obviously learned a bit from his old man, and and um, that's all very, very good because it's all part of the whole process and the and the program on on being a successful race car driver. So, um, you know, when you look at next year, you'd have to think that you know he will certainly start among the favourites. He's just got to um, keep his head in gear and uh, and uh, slow it down to speed it up. Yeah, exactly. Just make sure that car finishes as much as it can throughout the year. A couple of DNFs this year have probably hurt him pretty bad but the incentive of a million dollar scholarship at the uh, end of next year should he take out the championship that's a nice little incentive isn't it? Yeah without doubt and you know it helps it doesn't you know it doesn't guarantee anything but it certainly helps and you know he's got that those couple of local sponsors he's got in now but he's got a lot of people who helped him along the way he's got a group of people who've you know sort of part of the part of the program the Tony Quinn Foundation New Zealand's been part of that as well. Yeah. Um, when him flying the Kiwi flag, you know, he lives on the Gold Coast, um, which is great. Doesn't matter where it comes from, whether we're all working together. We saw at the weekend to have that podium with uh, a full Anzac podium at the weekend was uh, yeah. was pretty cool. And you know, wouldn't wouldn't it be great to see uh, you know Hunter and Brabs, you know, and Scotty, you know, you know, filling those three spots at a race, you know, in the next few seasons, that'd be pretty amazing. Yeah, it certainly would be. Uh, another New Zealander that. I reckon could probably take IndyCar by storm as well. Would have to be Shane Van Gisbergen. If he gave it a shot, you'd reckon he'd be pretty solid, wouldn't he? And I reckon uh, I'd back Shane in a billy cart downhill at Lithgow yeah. uh, on a winterous afternoon. You know, like, um, yeah, the, the bloke's a racer and uh, he, he just loves racing. It wouldn't matter what it was, what you gave him, how you did it. Uh, he, he'd, he'd soon work it out and be competitive and and, uh, you know, he's done some remarkable things in the last couple of years. You know, that, that win he had at Sandy last year with his broken shoulder is probably the, yeah. one of the probably the coolest things I've seen in touring car racing in Australia in my 35-year 35, 35 career. Um, just things like that sort of stand out in your memory bank. And, um, yeah, yeah, but, you know, is he is he too old to have a crack? As you know, I don't know. Well, you know, he come over. But, you know, the problem now is I think there's – one, maybe two seats left for next year. So, you know, if you're going to go and do that, the program's almost got to be a two or three year sort of work out how we're going to get this done, who we're going to do it with, 
you know, Scott was in a very fortunate position with with Roger Penske, who's been amazingly supportive of him. And, you know, Roger and I had several discussions over time early in the piece about how good he was. And, um, you know, we had a, 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 a rise smile and a quick chat in pit lane on Sunday about, um, yep, well, you know, we talked about it and, and here it is. And yeah. um, I think, you know, you say the same about Shane, but, you know, it's very similar to when Marcus Ambrose came over here in NASCAR, you know, like Ford were up and about and helped him get into that position. You can't just walk into those positions mm. over here um, like those two guys have done without the support of, you know, Ford in Marcus's position and Roger Penske in, in Scott McLaughlin's position. So, um, you know, you got to come over here, do the hard yards, people don't understand who you are, prove yourself and then move on. Now, Shane Van Gisbergen doesn't need to prove himself, but, you know, there needs to be a slot for him to, you know, yeah. ever ever be considered a chance to you know, even come and test the thing. Yeah, no, absolutely spot on. Good on you, mate. Thank you so much for your insight, Crush. Really appreciate it. What a weekend we are expecting uh, at Laguna Sega this weekend. Two Indy Lights races and one IndyCar race, and that IndyCar race will decide the IndyCar champion for 2022. Enjoy the rest of your holiday, mate. We'll catch you at Bathurst in a few weeks' time. Thanks, mate. Like you, I'll be uh, I'll be following all the action on speedcafe.com because it's the only thing I can get in Iceland. Yes, and ice, obviously. Yeah, and uh, lots of ice, which goes okay with the Jack Daniels, but yeah. Enjoy the Northern Lights, mate. Catch you soon. Thanks, brother. Bye. Brett Murray joining us here on The Grid. There's more great motorsport stories coming next on The Grid. Richard Crow, good day to you. Hello, Shebexter. How are you? I'm fantastic, thank you. And as we always do, we catch up with Mark Walker as well to have a chat about what's happening in the world of motor racing. G'day, Mark. Tony Shebecki, Richard Crail. Good to go Super V8 racing this weekend for one last time at Pukekohe Park Raceway. The last blast at the park, yes, uh, which is a sad thing because it's one of the great racetracks to go and watch supercars at work. Mm. Um, getting that opportunity in 15 when we were over there to go and watch down at Turn 1 and 2 and 3 and that chicane and just how uh, aggressive that place is through Turn 1 especially. It's, it's one of the cool corners to watch a supercar at work. So, yeah, fortunate to have been there and to have, I've seen racing there and be sad to not go back to that place because it's got such a, an enormous amount of character and not just the tradition behind it. And, and it has got a great racing history, a bit like Sandown, but it's such a characterful racetrack and the fans are on top of the action and it's a really spectacular joint. But fortunately, New Zealand has lots of spectacular racetracks. So um, where it ends up after this year, no one knows, but I think it'll still be a, a good show. You talk about character. We've, did up a little story in the race talk when it was announced that this will be the last blast there. And I calculated up that every 290 metres around that racetrack, the cars have a wheel in the air. Mm. <laughs> There's a fair few lumps and bumps, which is pretty cool. It's something you don't necessarily see these days. It's that combination of an old school like Lakeside where the cars have heaps of attitude on. It's got a fair bit of sand down about it, not just the whole horse racing track thing, but, you know, that run over the top uh, of uh, in, down into Dandenong Road. That's sort of replicated there. And you've got the curbs from the Surface Paradise Beachside Chicane thrown into the mix at Turn 2 as well. Yeah, and long back straight, big stop into the hairpin. Even with the um, with the later chicane they put in on the back straight, it's still a big stop into that hairpin and even the braking zone into the chicane and both legitimate overtaking opportunities. So, yeah, we'll miss it. It's, uh, it's a cool place and it always puts on pretty good racing i'll tell you what it has been though much like a lot of the circuits but in particular um this place no one other than triple eight or djr have won there since 2016 and i realize we've missed a couple of years with pandemic but um you've got to go back to mark winterbottom in 16 with a race win and again back in 2014 reynolds got one in 15 but outside of that so their svg won a race for techno in uh 2014 and then jason bright won the first race of that round but it's not been a location where it's wide open in terms of different results it's a, a circuit that has favored the big boys and the teams with the best damper programs and the best programs for their car setup and things like that so it'll be interesting to see whether that will be the story 
of this weekend or whether there can be some surprises pop up. Not that this has been a season for uh, massive surprises anyway. No, and you know what? Greg, Greg Murphy's always going to be the king of that. He's got nine wins to his credit. And Van Gears, even when he wins three races this weekend, it's not going <laughs> to knock him off because he's only got five. Mm. Yep. 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 Correct. And uh, Murph will probably have some sort of hand, I suppose, in the uh, the next iteration of uh, New Zealand racing. Is it? No, uh, Wink Up has 10 there. So either way. Does he? Yeah. Hmm. Yep. Okay. But still, Murph's still the, still the king. Is it time that we have a New Zealand double? Uh, yeah, 100%. Yep. Yeah, we spend all this money to go over there, and it's expensive. And for a while there, this round was in doubt because of the travel logistics and the dramas and the extra cost there is to freight things around the world that we're still experiencing at the moment. Yeah, so why not? Absolutely we should. And once the things arrive in containers over there, it's not hard to put those packing containers and the the racks of those cars on the back of a truck. So if you need to drive them down to the South Island, away you go. It makes all the sense in the world, 100%. It's it's our biggest market outside of Australia, in terms of a fan base, probably like population. It's it's New South Wales, isn't it? So it's it'd be Victoria, New South Wales, Queensland. I would have thought per capita of supercar fans, and then probably New Zealand. So it's a massive market for the sport. There's a lot of Australian companies with massive presences over there as well. So there's a sponsorship side of it. It just makes all the sense in the world for mine that we race there twice, go over two rounds, back to back, bang, bang, come back home and cater to the fans in the South Island. It would be the biggest thing the South Island has seen to go and race there because they just don't get those massive events. So if you go and race at Christchurch or even further south down at, at Highlands or somewhere like that, it would be enormous, absolutely massive for sure. Hamilton had WRC. Had supercars too. Yeah, oh, but they, they too. Exactly. Not, we're right. not talking about North Island. Hamilton's two hours south of Auckland. So that's okay. basically metro area. We're though. talking South Island. We're talking South Island. Oh, bugger it. Go to Invercargill. Just get, Why not? If you're, if you're going south, just go the whole hog. Don't don't faff around well, going you'll to need, Highlands. You'll need you can, ice tires. You can have the southernmost touring car around in the world. But if you're going to go to South Island, it's going to be Highlands because it's owned by the only person who can probably afford to promote that event and pay them yeah. to come. And if you're Quinny, you do a double deal, don't you? You get them at Hampton Downs and then at your other circuit in the South Island. Makes all the sense in the world to mine. Yeah, it might make all the sense in the world, but where's he going to make more money having around at Queensland Raceway or around at Highlands? Well, I don't know. Depends. It depends. How well can you commercialise around on the South Island? How much freight do you have to pay the championship to get to Queensland Raceway? Well, they're already halfway there, aren't they? So they're already right at QR. Yeah. I just, I don't know. I don't know. You got it. Why not have both? Hmm. Why can't we have both? Well, exactly. Somebody think about the children. I know. It's what sort of taco, what sort of tacos do supercars want? Well, Quinny's in the, in a good position to bargain and do a deal. So maybe he pays less from a sanctioning fee point of view, helps out with some freight, but gets around at QR as well. Supercars wins. Everyone wins from that. And I'll throw in QR for free. I think there has to be some pragmatism from supercars in this as well, because it's all about, it's about building your audiences in places where we haven't gone, but you build your audience in New Zealand where it's already super strong. So play to your base. So all this talk of, oh, we've got to go these international rounds, before you go back to Dubai or America or anywhere like that, go to a place where people actually know your product and will pay money to go and watch it. Yeah. Just, it just makes a lot of sense to me. Greatest Pukekohe memory? Uh, probably when we were there, it's not a great memory, but when we were there and old CL's tyre exploded directly in front of oh, yes. where we were calling for SEN. And I think we were live on SEN at the time when it went bang. Correct. Heard it through the effects mic. So that was pretty sketchy on the entry to turn one. So he's doing warp nine and the the tyre pops and old CL's a bit out of control. Um, yeah, crazy stuff. My favourite Pokemon moment though, Shebex, is probably... That round at the end of 96, when the touring car, 96, 95, 
96. 96, when the touring cars went over there and, and then did Wellington. See, they did two rounds back-to-back. Yeah. Back. Made a lot of sense. Um, <laughs> and that was a long time ago, and no one had any money like they do now. Um, I just remember that, and that because that was probably my first real introduction to Pukekohe, and watching that going, gee, how wild's this place? Why didn't yep. I know about this when I was... I was earlier. So yeah, no, I, um, that was my, probably my earlier favorite memory. I would have thought. And- uh, left, a left field one, uh, back when they put a tire bundle down at turn two to stop people cutting the track. And then the cars kept cutting the track and knocked the tire bundle off, but the star picket remained. And then mm. subsequently every car that cut the corner got a flat tire. I thought that was brilliant. That should be brought back everywhere. No one's going to cut corners again, are they? No, true. Favourite memory for me was falling asleep on the grass and waking up two hours later at some point, not knowing what what the hell had happened to me. I don't know. I just fell asleep watching. Your favourite moment of Pukekohe is falling asleep. No, it's not. I'm being selfish. (laughs) You're being selfish? Is it the jet lag? That that three-hour jet lag really got you there? But how about uh, that time we were there for Guy Fawkes night and we were up the top of the tower by mistake? Amazing. because everyone else in New Zealand was downstairs blowing stuff up, yeah. and we were the only people at the top of the tower watching it all. Watching everyone, it all everyone except the three of us knew that it was <laughs> let's blow some shit up night. So we went, all right, well, let's go up and see the Auckland Sky Tower, and we wander up there and having a a glass of something pretty tasty, and all the skies blowing up around us, and we yeah. had absolutely no idea, and got the absolute best view of it. It was tremendous. I, My I second do... favourite Pukekohe moment is Hampton Downs. Well, yeah, we, we, we went there, didn't we? And just invaded well, we, and became we, consultants to the design design of the media, the center media center. <laughs> Although I do recall that uh, one of the teams uh, lost some members of the night to Guy Fawkes-related activities. So uh, that was unfortunate, really, for those guys. Mm. Uh, worst Pukekohe memory? No, I haven't been there once, so hard to... Um... Hard to say. Probably me groaning, groaning internally when Van Gisbergen boxed um, <laughs> parked Scotty in. <laughs> Just going, oh, for crying out loud. Yeah. Self- uh, that, that was great. I liked it. So, no, I don't have a bad book of going. Remember? What about when Jason Bright glassed himself after he won the Jason Richards trophy and just jumped Oh, smashed the light. The Actually, my bad book of Kelly memory was when... Our colleague and photographer Dirk Kleinsmith got sconed by a local oh, fish yes. and knocked yep. him out. And that we weren't there, um, and we were sort of dealing with that from a from afar. But um, yeah, that that wasn't a particularly good memory. Um, yeah, yeah that my was... my worst Pukekohe memory was being absolutely snubbed by SVG. Oh, he, that interview. he stitched you up on the grid, but you're not the first okay. and last person that he's right. um, given the the uh, don't answer to. Yeah. Now, hey, who and was it Winterbottom that absolutely rode off his car in practice or something early on, or was it Winkup? Oh, that was at Hamilton. Why that was at Hamilton, mate. Hamilton, yeah, that was, was Winkup okay. at Hamilton. Wrote the thing off, scored zero yeah. points, and I think he was still leading the championship after it anyway, wasn't he? Yeah, and he I won think the you're championship, right. and he won it. Two thousand and eight. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that's a that's a Shane Van Gisbergen potential uh, scenario going on there. Yeah, correct. So we're all thinking that Triple Eight just uh, blitz here. Oh, it's hard to see it's not happening. It's impossible to predict somebody else winning this season. So there's sort of no point, is there? Because you just look like an idiot <laughs> when it doesn't happen. Yeah. So Shane's probably going to win it. Um, we go back to the the age old questions we've been asking this year: uh, What Tickford do we get? Do we get good Tickford, or do we get bottom of the top ten Tickford? Um, they've been all right there in the past. So so let's see. But they weren't particularly good at Sandown. So maybe. Maybe that carries over. I'm not sure. And then just just how the DJR cars go uh, again with with great pace, but a little bit of inconsistency between their results uh, last time out at Sandown. It's probably a fair bit of Sandown adjacency to the car set up at Pukekohe. You'd think to Sandown mm-hmm. because they're reasonably close in nature. So if DJR work quick at Sandown, hopefully they can unload out of the shipping crate and go decent this weekend. A couple of other stories doing the rounds in supercars uh, this week. Uh, Todd Hazelwood, poised for a move. Yeah, that was sort of a left field one, given the the various permutations around what was going to happen at Blanchard Racing. The Cool Drive car next year, and, and there were a bunch of names linked to that. One of them wasn't Todd Hazelwood, but it turns out that perhaps he's the number one pick for, for that team. And 
he'll leave Matt Stone. It was a, a one-year deal plus an option, so clearly there's a there's an exit clause there, and he'll go and and head up that outfit. Um, there are, in my mind, pros and cons to that. Uh, Matt Stone Racing has a team on the up vibe with the potential next year with a level playing field and triple eight cars to be very, very competitive. Um, but then there's no reason to say that with, with gen three Blanchards won't be good as well, given what they've done over the last two years with Tim Slade behind the wheel and being more competitive, I think than most people expected them to be. So pros and cons, an interesting one, certainly from left field, probably smokes Fabian's chances of getting back to a full time drive. You'd think, uh, unless mm-hmm. unless Matt Stone decides they want someone with experience in the, the second truck assist, what will be a Camaro. But yeah, an, an interesting interesting story that broke uh, on um, on Monday our time about how that was all going to play out. Yeah, and Matt Stone's already come out and said that he'd prefer to have a rookie in there. So, mm-hmm. and quite frankly, I don't mind that if they get uh, you know a Declan Fraser, a Cameron Hill, a Tyler Everingham, one of these guys off the bench to give him a go. I don't mind that at all well if you get Declan Fraser to me would make the most sense um especially given the triple eight links that MSR's got as a customer of triple eight for t8 it's a nice environment to to plonk one of their drivers and keep an eye on him and understand what's going on with a bit of data and things like that that'd make all the sense in the world and Matt Stone gets one of the hot young talent looking to make it main game who'll already have a, a Bathurst 1000 start to his credit, remember. And I like Toddy. I, I mean, I like Toddy as a driver. I think he's a good, aggressive young kid. And, you know, given the right environment there, I think it's been a, a bit hard at the moment for Tim Slade because they've had so many people missing in action from their engineering and mm. team management ranks of late. It's been a bit of a mix and match of who's running that show at the moment. So hopefully they can settle down some stability. You know, they'll have the exact same machinery as everyone else. And uh, Toddy can show what he's worth. Yep, and uh, we've also lost uh, one of our wildcards for the Bathurst 1000. Oh, I don't think anyone's particularly shocked about that, are we? No, I suppose not. Nope. It didn't help that uh, Michael Anderson retrospectively didn't get his uh, super license ticked off. There was yeah, some paperwork help. issues there, but uh, and that would have been a, a real privateer effort. Wouldn't have added that much to the conversation. Would have been another car on the grid, but it probably wouldn't have been all that competitive, really versus some of the other ones out there. So um, whatever, it's still a decent field lining up for Bathurst, I reckon. Biggest since is. 2013, I think. 12? Uh, maths isn't my strong point. Yeah, I think so. Anyway, hmm. it's good. Hey, just a final one before we move off supercars. Uh, is there any concern from you guys about Gen 3 being ready for race one next year? No, they'll get it right. Yeah. Yeah, well, they have to, don't they? <laughs> it's it's pretty critical that they don't cock it up. So yeah, no, they'll, except they'll, now, it's only it's only five months. Yeah, five months is a long time in motorsport. Look, it'll be a rush, but then it was a rush for Gen Two as well, wasn't it? Yeah. Everyone, we, we the the frustrating thing for mine about this whole process is that everything that's happened throughout Gen the build up to Gen Three, from my memory, happened when we rolled out Gen Two as well. Or, or the the car of the future, which was the last major upgrade. Mm. Like it, it's it's taken longer than they expected. It's it's been more expensive than they expected, and it's been later than they've expected. So it's going to be a massive frantic rush to get them there. But lo and behold, the last time we went through a complete rules change, everyone rocked up on the grid at the twenty fourteen Adelaide five hundred with brand new cars, and we went car racing. I or when was it thirteen? Um, thirteen. It, 13 it just yeah they'll get it right Shebex. they have to it's the bottom line is it's going to happen we won't see commodores racing next year and that's the way it's going to be so yep i have a laugh at the moment they're going on about oh it's too expensive now but these are the same people who are soaking that all the things that they put into gen 3 to make it cheaper oh no we've got to have our shifters oh we've got to do this we've got to have the anti-roll bar adjusters all this sort of jazz if they buggered it off and went with their cheaper model that they went with, the cars would have been cheaper. But anyway, mm. that's okay. Just pay for it, lads. Yep. You got what you wanted. Yep. Deal with it. Deal with well, it. they're all cashed up anyway because they've all just sold their big chunk of the sport. So 
it shouldn't really be a drama. And there was a there's money coming from supercars to help fund the changeover anyway. So yeah, they'll they'll get it right. They have to, Shebex. Yeah, no, they, you're right. But let's move forward to IndyCar, where Chew is. This championship is getting very, very juicy. Yeah, it's great. Uh, really, really interesting title battle. So Will Power, 20 points in front of Joseph Newgarden and Scott Dixon. The worry out of those two it has to be Scott Dixon because he's way better at winning championships than anybody <laughs> in the sport right now. Um, and then Marcus Ericsson, who hasn't had a particularly good run of late. So his last four races have been 11th, 14th, 7th, and 11th. That's not title winning form, is it? So that's, you got to wonder, the form driver in the championship right now is the guy who's the smoky in fifth place, and that's Scott McLaughlin, whose last five races have gone third, fourth, second, third, first. So, yeah, it's a terrific title battle. Um, we saw Pelot and O'Ward eliminated from contention at Portland at the weekend, despite a really good fighting drive from Pato O'Ward and the McLaren. Didn't, uh, didn't quite do enough to stay in the hunt, so... They're the kind of guys that'll be mixing it up and trying to take points off their rivals. But realistically, it, it's a battle of four of those top three drivers. And uh, Power, Newgarden, Dixon, all have won championships before. All are at very, very strong form at the moment and uh, all shaping up really good. So, you know, Will Power with 20 points, you take that, but it's not a big enough margin with, with 57, I think it is, for an IndyCar weekend up for grabs. So definitely not um, not a lay down for the Toowoomba Tornado to win his second IndyCar title. And, and Mark, how- Lagu- oh, sorry, I was going to say, Laguna Seca is a track that can make things happen in this championship. Oh, yeah. If someone goes bowling at the first corner, Scotty yeah. can win this thing. <laughs> he's, he's within shot and he's the guy who can definitely win it. But what a season he's had. Like three poles, three wins. That win on the weekend, that was an absolute crush. He led 104 with 109 laps. Like he smashed them. Mm. And the commentators were there banging on about how he's going to win the championship next year. Mm. This is friend of the show, Scott McLaughlin. How cool is that? Yeah. Oh, and, and right now he's the form driver. But the thing in IndyCar is the form swings are so hard that you know, Penske could get it wrong next year and be 15th. So that that's just how how competitive the championship is. I think we need to talk about Will Power more, though, because he's just put together the most consistent season, one of the most consistent he's ever had. He's only won once. Mm. And I, I read a stat this morning that if he wins the title only having won one race, he's the first IndyCar driver to do that since Tony Stewart won the IRL championship in 1997. Wow. <laughs> which is a pretty remarkable statistic when you come to think of it. Now, Will could rock up at Laguna and smoke everybody because he does that. So there's a very good chance he could win the title by winning the race, but it's going to be interesting. The other thing for mine, the the contenders sort of split their strategies going into these final two rounds. So Penske went to Portland to go and test and it paid off and they were utterly dominant up there. As you mentioned with Scotty, Ganassi went to Laguna Seca. So they went and tested at Laguna instead of going to Portland. So it's almost like the Penske approach was, well, let's just try and build the biggest margin we possibly can with a round to go. Whereas Ganassi are throwing everything at the finale to, you know, make sure the cards are are stacked in their favor going into Laguna. So it's going to be really interesting and how the Penske cars unload there having not tested will be absolutely fascinating and will determine, I think, how this, this race plays out. Mm, Can't wait though. It's it's going to be cracking, cracking showdown. What a you're going to be up at four a.m. Yeah, I'll probably get up for that one. I would have thought. So two races, isn't it? One on Saturday, one on Sunday. No, just one race. Yeah. Okay. So we've got a a late night Monza. You got to watch Monza. It's Monza, and then you've got four a.m. IndyCar. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I'm good with that. No problems. No, you're talking to somebody who watches Monaco and then stays up for the Indianapolis 500. So, you know. Oh, touche. Yeah, it's a 4 a.m. get up for uh, <laughs> Laguna's no problems. And Indy Lights also uh, happening at Laguna as well, their final round. They do have a doubleheader, Chuex. So oh, yes, okay. uh, two I races. I somewhere. Yep, two races for the Lights. Um, championship pretty much done, but battle for second still very much on. And our young friend Hunter McElray uh, is still a shot 
to go and grab that, which will be um, which will be tremendous. And good news from his camp that he's re-signed by Andretti Autosport for next year for another campaign in Indy Lights and to go and win the title next year. So exciting times for uh, for friends of the show, which is cool. No doubt. Mark, uh, your thoughts on Hunter signing again for another year of Indy Lights and not trying to get into Indy cars in uh, 2023? Oh, I'm sure if he could have gotten in, he would have. But, uh, you know, he goes in as probably one of the title favourites, you'd have to imagine. I mean, obviously, Matty Brabs is up there as well. He had a good run on the weekend at Portland. But, uh, you know, his progress throughout the season has been really, really strong. So it'd be good to see where Hunter goes next year. Like, he's got every chance to go out there and absolutely dong them. He's with the right team. Andretti Autosport have won a lot of championships and an awful lot of races in that championship. So, uh, and every chance that they'll have some empty seats uh, moving forward when we hear what's going on with Colton Herter and whatnot. Well, mm-hmm. everyone, it, it next year wasn't the right time for Hunter to go to IndyCar. Yeah. Um, you want to give yourself, A, the best chance to win the title because you get a million bucks scholarship, three guaranteed races in the Indy 500. Um, so that's a start. But uh, 2024 is contract time in IndyCar. Or everyone's deal comes up at the end of 23, just about. So there's going to be a whole array of musical chairs in that championship. And I, there will be teams looking for hot young talent coming out of lights, yeah. especially if you can bring a million bucks with you um, that to, to snap up when everyone's out of contract. So I, I think the timing to do another year of that, rather than face a potential Piastri scenario where you could spend a year on the sidelines or a year in an uncompetitive car, uh, I, I think to go and have another crack at Indy Lights second year, and I think that's the uh, the way to go for sure. Let's stick in the States and NASCAR, and things literally blew up in NASCAR on the weekend, Mark. Yeah, it was good. Uh, first round of the playoffs was the Darlington 500, the old Southern 500 from the Lady in Black. Uh, Chase Elliott crashed out early, didn't see that one coming. Kevin Harvick caught fire and gave NASCAR a... A real industrial spec spray. That was a good one. We haven't seen a good uh, character reference like that in a long time. Uh, Martin Truex Jr. was in line to win, be the 17th winner of the season. He blew up. His teammate was leading Cole Bush. He blew up. Uh, then Eric Jones in the 43, Richard Petty's number 43, uh, held off really hard-charging Danny Hamlin and got the win, the 200th win for the number 43 in NASCAR. And 55 years to the date since Richard Petty last won at Darlington in that car. Good stats. And he's the first non-playoff driver to win the opening race of the playoffs ever. So NASCAR looking pretty spicy there. 17 winners from 27 races to date. Kind of the opposite of Formula One, isn't it really? Hmm. It is. That's a good segue into Formula One. And uh, it was a sea of orange again in Holland. And it wasn't for Daniel Ricciardo. No. no, no, it wasn't. It was for no, me. it wasn't. No, uh, no, good Grand Prix, Dutch Grand Prix. Uh, certainly had some fire about it. Um, there was a whole lot going on, and it started out as a fairly processional race, but then it was all set up to be absolutely tremendous. And I won't go into too much detail now because we got the power rankings coming up in our hots <laughs> and knots. But um, but even then, with the way the strategy was denied to play out. Um, we still got a bit of um, topsy-turviness with uh, that late safety car for Bottas braking. That was good. So, you know, Max, to win that race, had to pass cars to win it, which was good to see. So, But but once that safety car happened, he was never going to lose because the Red Bull's just so fast in a straight line. Um, and with or without DRS, the thing just blew past anything standing still, especially the Mercs, which are not fast in a straight line. So really enjoyed it. Um, a couple of other highlights. Uh, Fernando Alonso was mighty. He was just awesome to watch and one of the best drives in his recent time. He's just so feisty and has absolutely zero cares to give at the moment and he's just yeah. full send everywhere he goes, which is great fun. George Russell was enormous and made a really, really good call in pit lane to throw softs on at that safety car. And that was his decision. Lewis was blowing up at the team for not making a call, but George made one and backed himself and it paid off and he got second. Another really, really good drive. And he's a a full race in front of Lewis in the championship Mm. now. So that's really impressive. 
and um, Ferrari, Leclerc was okay and, and got a podium, but the collective groan on the internet when they botched Carlos Sainz pit stop was just, it was almost amusing because everyone how was going, oh, that? when are Ferrari going to stuff it? And then they stuffed the pit stop. And everyone and went, and then oh, the how do you not have a tyre? And then the unsafe release in his second game. Yeah, so they stuffed it twice. So there's just, it's so frustrating, that team at the moment. And you know, I'm not a Ferrari fan. I like them, but I'm not a member of the Tifosi. I hate to be one of those right now. So if they do that next weekend at Monza, uh, they could um, they could riot that joint. Actually, Lewis Hamilton really gave Kevin Harvick a run for his money in Spray of the Week, didn't he? That was a big one, wasn't it? Yeah, the question is whether Hamilton's was as deserved as Harvick because you kind of feel like there's an element of truth in Kevin's. But <laughs> Hamilton's just felt like sour grapes that he made. A, he didn't make a call when the team were actually going all in to try and win the race with track position, which they did. And I thought Toto was, was interviewed on Sky F1 afterwards and, um, uh, and said, we tried to win the race. We made the call that we thought could win the race with either driver, but Lewis didn't see it that way. And, um, but the, ultimately George made his call to put softs on. And he fought for it and was quite aggressive in saying, I want softs. We've got to do this. We've got to do this. I didn't hear any of that from Lewis. Now, it's not to say it didn't happen, but George made a call. Lewis didn't. That's yeah. how it played out. So yeah. I'd yeah, mm. get over it, mate. And, and unlike RBW, it wasn't Michael Massey's fault this week. No, exactly right. I'm sure he'd be blamed for it somewhere, though. There was a good meme <laughs> going around about that. So but, is, Mike, is Michael Massey chairman of the Supercars Commission? Or? Yes. Yeah. There you go. Yep. Fantastic. Great great signing to head up an independent commission to run the sport. It is a yeah, very, very smart decision from everybody involved there. I think he's an excellent get. Yeah, no doubt about it. Well, that's about it, guys. I don't think there's anything else to talk about. Well, we've got power rankings. We have. Tony. Let's do that. How did <laughs> I forget through. that? Oh, sorry. It's been a long day. Uh, power rankings, of course, brought to us by our great friends at Doric. It is our weekly Hots and Knots. Mark, would you like to kick us off this week? What are we going with, Hots or Knots? Hots first. Hot first. Hots first. I got in trouble last week for going with a Knot. Yeah, no, we start positive. Start positive. I'm finish I'm negative. Gonna, hmm. I'm going to go with the Xfinity Series race finish from Darlington. Uh, great run to the finish between Sheldon Creed and Kyle Larson. And then they started banging into each other in the last lap. Then Noah Gregson swept past them. Then... Sheldon Creed went full video spec video game mode into turns three and four, absolutely kept it pinned along the fence. Uh, then Gregson hit the fence. Then Creed still was in the fence and then Gregson won. If any of that makes sense, you're better off just watching the clip. Really. It was pretty cool. And uh, it was, I want to see someone put the voiceover to the old uh, Ricky Craven called Kurt Bush. <laughs> race it was very very similar to the amount of crashing that went on then back in the uh 90s on the weekend there in the xfinity series but uh cool old school track that really turned it on uh my hot tony uh there's a couple of uh potential contenders uh jeff gordon raced in carrera cup at in the indianapolis motor speedway the wow. sports car together festival uh, over at IMS, our colleague John Heinoff and Radio Show Limited was calling that. Um, I don't think he went particularly well, but it doesn't matter. Jeff Gordon in a cup car. That's just right. like manner for me, isn't it? Porsche guy. Yeah. Like, uh, I'd, we've got to get him to Bathurst somehow. That would be but unbelievable. But he had, had Ray Everingham there yeah, exactly. calling the shots. Just, and the and in number 24, he bought that car. So yeah, he right. bought that car. He drove one of his mate's cars, one of the Hendrick um, Drive Experience customers' cars, yeah. and uh, drove it and thought, oh, this thing's bloody great. I've got to buy one for myself. And then they went, oh, well, we may as well run it in Indy and have a crack. So fantastic. Really like that. Um, that was a hot. Uh, the IndyCar title fight, of course, is a hot. And Scotty is a default hot, of course. So amazing performance to do what he's doing in IndyCar. But my hot is reserved for a series close to my heart, and that is Touring Car Masters. And the news that as we go out um, and record this podcast on Tuesday night this week was announced earlier today that Keith Kasulki will be bringing back one of the best-looking race cars in the sport to run at Sandown at the Speed Series and Shannon's Motorsport Championships round at Sandown next weekend. 
in the big XB Ford Falcon Coupe, the hardtop, which hasn't raced since 2015. It is just a magnificent race car, beautifully built, was driven by Glenn Seaton, Keith's won rounds in it. It's a cool story that it's finally getting back on the racetrack, and we'll see that at Big Bad Sandown in the Touring Car Masters grid. So that is my hot for the week, Shebex. Old muscle cars do it for me, especially when they're as cool as that thing. Yeah, well, my hot also relates around IndyCar and Indy Lights, and I think you mentioned the Scotty win is just amazing. The fact that he's got two of those now under his belt for this year and is just looking amazingly good in that category after only, well, two years in there. And it's just, yeah, good on him. Well done, Scotty. And, uh, yeah, the re-signing, of course, of uh, old mate in Indy Lights is Hunter McElroy is a great thing for him as well. So, I'll focus my hots on there. Where there wasn't much to hot about, was there really? This no, it was a, it was, it was a little bit it was, there. It was tepid. Yeah. yeah, couldn't find a hot in Formula One. Oh, oh I, I could, but I didn't bother. I'd give a bonus hot on that North America Carrera Cup. The fact that this series is sponsored by the Cayman Islands. Yes, ah, I yes. mean, if ever you found a perfect sponsor for a business uh, for a series real filled with rich businessmen, I the think they absolutely haven't. nailed it. The Perfect. tax haven. Yeah, we need to get them to sponsor Career Cup Australia, really. Sponsor the race tour. I think the yeah, the, yes, actually. Have we got a podcast for you? <laughs> we'll, we won't do it for cash either, just like a uh, holiday there. That's yeah. all I want. Uh, Mark, not. Uh, I'll give a uh, honourable nod to the preliminary races at Zandvoort. F2 and Porsche Super Cup on Sunday morning there were absolute dog's breakfast. They were disgusting. They, they went was... full Super 2, mate. <laughs> they went full Super 2. That was no good, was it? Uh, but my main nod, I'm going to reserve that for uh, the management at Alpine. Good grief. I was very much giving them the benefit of the doubt because mm. uh, oh, there was a silly thing to do to go knocking back a Formula One drive, guaranteed good thing in a decent car. But then you read the stuff that's gone on uh, on F1.com and also uh, Jonathan Noble had a really good piece over there at motorsport.com. Holy smokes. Talk about mismanagement. You're, mm. uh, you definitely go and put your bum in at McLaren, even if the car's no good and you, you've got to perform and you know, all the things are against you. You don't want to be driving for Alpine and you look at it. No wonder they've only got one driver for next year when yeah. they've had everyone else Locked and loaded. They've absolutely stuffed it. And not much refuting coming back from it either. So no, pretty quiet. It <laughs> I loved the fact that they had to pay costs, 500,000 pounds in yeah. legal fees and costs. It's a, that's the biggest indictment of the lot out of that case. Yeah. And you know, the, when you have to pay costs, you've lost badly. And Alpine have gone, yeah, but we're not going to pay for Oscar's costs. But, and yeah. the CRB's gone, oh no, you really have yeah, to pay you, for them. Sorry, you definitely are. <laughs> You definitely are. And I asked it on the show a couple of weeks ago when we were discussing this, and my comment was, Alpine have lost Ricardo, they've lost Alonso, and now they've lost Piastri in quick succession. Why? why? Yeah, I think we're did. starting to understand a little bit <laughs> why now. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good knot, Mark. Nice. Uh, my knot, there are a couple of contenders for this, um, and I almost put this top, but... Um, on Friday evening, uh, watching practice two, I'm sort of lying on the couch, staring into space rather than actively paying close attention to a Formula One practice session. David Croft versus Ted Kravitz. Oh, please. Now, I recorded, I paused it, rewound it, recorded it off my television and put it on our group chat to the stunned reaction from my colleagues here and, and on a couple of others as well. Uh, that very, very surprising uh, that little blow up. That's all I'll say. And and as someone who works in television and is fortunate enough to do so, um, I was impressed that that went to air, but that's not my biggest knot. My biggest knot is the virtual safety car. It absolutely ruined the Dutch Grand Prix from playing out as it should have. And had the race not been slowed by that, giving Max Verstappen essentially a free pit stop, it would have been a really good Grand Prix. Now, I'm not saying Max wouldn't have won. I think he would have. But we would have had the Mercs 1 and 2 a good margin up the road on a better tyre, on a tyre that they were as quick as the Red Bull on, 
and then Max would have had to pass George Russell and Lewis Hamilton to win the race. Now, he probably still would have won, but it would have been really good. It would have been a terrific race. It was building up really nicely. But the virtual safety car is flawed in that it takes 15 seconds out of your pit stop time because everyone's slowed right down. And then the arbitrary point at when they send it green, you'd much rather go green when you're in the middle of a really slow corner than if you're halfway down the straight. So if you're at a slow corner where the minimum apex speed is 80 k's an hour and you're mm. doing 60, that's much better than if you're in the middle of the main straight where you'd be doing 300, but you're doing 60. So I don't like it. I've never liked VSC or um, the code 60 that they use in endurance racing. Throw the safety car. It it's equalizes it for everyone. Or at the very least, close the bloody pits. So these free pit stops can't happen because it completely transformed the Dutch Grand Prix from being what I thought was going to be a really, really good finish to being a fait accompli that Max was going to win it. Now, the late safety car sort of gave us a little bit of what we were going to have anyway. Yeah. So it sort of half redeemed it, but it took the sting out of it because there was no way that that the Merc was ever going to hold off that Red Bull in a straight line. It just wasn't going to happen. So... I don't like virtual safety car. I think I don't think it's good for the show. And there's a, a purity of sport versus the show argument that pops up through all of this. And you get people on both sides of the camp, but I certainly lean towards the Yank way of doing it where you throw a yellow and bunch the field up and put them racing again because that generally makes for better car racing. So that is my not for the week. No, and fair comment too. I think you're absolutely right. Safety car should have come out in that instance. My not for the week is also in Formula One. And it's just... Daniel Ricciardo and McLaren. This is just a sad end to what's been a sad story over the last couple of months. He's not going to finish any higher than 17th or 18th this year in any more races. They're just not going to give him any parts to make that happen. It's just all downhill from here. And it's a really sad finish to Daniel's possible career if he doesn't pick up another drive. And uh, yeah, it's just, I don't like seeing it. Do you get out now, Phil Dan? Do you go well, no, I, You know, honestly, no I would I would nearly say to them, guys, this has ended. We can't keep going. So they've asked, they've asked Alpine if they can release Piastri from his 2022 contract, which Just give it has. to him. Yeah. If you get him out of that, you put him in the car for the last couple of races. I don't, uh, know. Well, I don't see what good this is going to do for Daniel for the last three or four races of the season to be plonking around at the back of the field. Just with no power. I hope they come and win Monza <laughs> like they did last year. Oh, it'll be amazing. It won't happen. But did, no, did you see the, the clip where, I mean, it might have been completely taken out of context, but where Dan was saying, I'll oh, take 2023 off and come back in 2024? Mm. Oh, it'd be a potential, sure. It's not like he's short of cash, so he can afford to have a sabbatical. Mm. It'd be sad. Well, you're getting it, paid it, for 2023, so why wouldn't you? Well, exactly. It would be sad, but... Um, yeah, anyway. We'll still have one Aussie racing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Actually, right. the, the question I'll ask you just before we wrap it up, does this change your feeling towards McLaren? We all had nice feelings around McLaren because Daniel was there. The way all this has gone, and the, does no, this sort of change us? No, it doesn't. Are we following Oscar next year? Yeah. What kind of question is that? No, absolutely. No, absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's, I'm just getting a response. No, it, do, it doesn't change my feelings about the team either because they, they the only question mark is around the timing of when Daniel was told about what was going on. So that's the only question mark about it. But there was a really good interview with Andrea Seidel about this scenario and the Piastri thing uh, that came out on the weekend about how it all played out and how they were really frustrated that they couldn't say anything because legally they couldn't say yeah anything about the Piastri signing because it was all up to the lawyers. So, but he was really frustrated because he wanted to come out and give the McLaren side. And as Mark touched on earlier, it's since come out that actually McLaren followed due process and they, they've actually, it's, it's a bloody good deal because the rumors are that, that, and Joe Sayward reported it, that Daniel's payout was $10 million, which is less than his actual fee for driving the race car. And they actually end up being about six million bucks in front yeah. next year. So they essentially get Oscar for free for a season. They can pay out the Alex Polo drama with Ganassi in the States. And they're actually going to end up all right out of this McLaren. So 
No, I don't think so. I, I think they're a victim of circumstance. And look, the only question I have is is around the Ricardo treatment from them and whether they did all the right things there. But I think they did. And I loved, just to add to that, I loved Mark came out on Channel 4 on the weekend and said, I went and saw Dan and said sorry about how it's all played out. And Dan yeah. was fine with it. And he said, look, I understand how this works. It's the business. That's the game. So I thought there was a great degree of... Um, uh, magnanimousness. Yeah, it'll work. Word, between everybody around that situation, good understanding. And, and Alpine are the ones who look like the ones holding the, the dirty water through it all. So the thing is that Dan's got such a, an uber personality that everyone's a fan of Dan, isn't it? Mm. I mean, we've never mm. really had a chance to get to know Piastri and, and let him express himself. But, uh, you know, it's a shame for Dan. He can clearly drive. He's won eight Grand Prix. But it's, a, it's the same basket as Nick Percat. He's mm-hmm. a gun driver and he's rolled into Walkinshaw and Dreddy United this year and it just hasn't worked, has it? And yep. it's in the exact mm. same boat for essentially the same organisation and uh, it hasn't happened for him. So um, fingers crossed both of those guys can figure it out in the future. The Power Rankings, thanks to Doric. That's it for another week. Thank you so much for joining us. Really uh, enjoyed your company. We look forward to having... You on the show again, listening in next week right here on The Grid.